So uh, as we launch here, I guess I have one question for Pastor Ray. In Florida, right? How did he know when to be there? That's what I want to (laughs) know. So, so amen. So, um, it's great to be back. And um, I'd like to spend some time with you in Mark chapter 4. Very familiar words of our Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. The parables that are there. And... um, If the Lord will help us, we will be challenged afresh from these very familiar words. Mark 4, the first 34 verses, I've entitled it from seed to empire or seed to kingdom. Um, And we want to see that progression. I believe there's a progression of ideas and truth in this this, uh, 34 verses that we like to look at. So the first, obviously, is the familiar parable, the sower and the seed. Then there's some instruction in the center there uh, about, um, you know, the the lamp and the lampstand and hiding it under a bed and how you hear. The issue there is how and what you hear because hearing is the key. How we hear the word, right? If we have ears to hear, then let's hear. And the, the hint is that not everyone has ears to hear. And we want to talk about that in a minute. And then we have the, the parable of the man scattering seed on the ground. And finally, the mustard seed. And what I'd like to do is, first of all, I'd like to just talk in general about hearing and parables, just for a minute. Then I would like to talk about the seed just the idea of the seed. And then we want to take the three seed parables in reverse order. The mustard seed, the seed scattered on the ground, and then the sower and the seed last. So you're you're thoroughly confused, right? Well, let's just think, let me read Mark 1, verses 1 and 2. Again, he began to teach by the sea. This is Jesus, our Savior. It says, and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. So let's kind of go there in your mind's eye this morning. Part of this multitude, and you're listening to this teacher And then if we, verse two, and he taught them many things by parables. And if we go to the final verses, 33 and 34, we have again, and with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Now, just very briefly, uh, a parable Does a parable hide truth or does it reveal truth? It's a trick question, right? And the answer is yes. And so a parable hides and reveals truth relative to the human heart or the ear that's hearing it. 
depending on the heart. See, the issue of the word of God having effect is the issue of how our hearts receive it or reject it. Is that not the issue? That's why hearing is such a huge thing in this. And so, so a parable, another way of asking the same thing is this. So Jesus was the word made flesh, right? All the fullness of deity dwelt bodily in him. How, how can that be? How did all of deity get packed into this one man? The word made flesh. Okay. Um, did this man, Jesus, reveal the glory of God or veil the glory of God? Was he veiled in human flesh or was he revealed in human flesh? I won't say it's the same thing. It's, it's yes. For those with eyes to see, they go, who are you? For those who were offended by something he said or by his popularity, he was just a man that had become an enemy. And there was rejection. <clears throat> and, and if you're familiar with the prophecy of Jesus through Simeon in Luke 2, at the baby Jesus, <clears throat> remember he, he, he spoke over the baby, he prophesied, and he said, <clears throat> this child will be for the rise and the fall of many in Israel and the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. This man revealed hearts. He would step into a situation and there would be a division. Well, that's what parables do. So Jesus, in teaching in parables, he was sorting out the multitude between those with good and noble hearts who could hear and benefit and those who were hindered in their hearing by heart issues. And I'm expecting great things here this morning. You drove out on a winter day <clears throat> to hear the word of God and to worship with other believers. So I'm expecting that you are one of those with a good and noble heart who will respond to the word. <clears throat> So let's just ponder the, the seed yet. So there's three seed parables that we want to look at in a minute. Seed. So I'm, I'm sure Pastor Ray has taught you well about seed. So we won't dwell long here, but the sower, you know, sows the seed. And the second parable is the man scattered the seed on the ground and it started growing. And then we have the mustard seed. <clears throat> Isn't it amazing so you hear the gospel preached. It's the word, right? You hear the word. Faith comes. You go, yeah, that's true. I need Jesus. I need saved. <clears throat> and you come into agreement. You confess your faith. And what happens? You are born again. How does that work? <clears throat> How many of you know, we have not been born again of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, the incorruptible seed of the word of God. It's, it's still, I still marvel at the simplicity and power of the gospel message to gain entrance into those who will receive the word 
and transform us from the inside out. That never ceases to amaze me. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> the other thing we could, the other aspect we can look at quickly is Jesus was the word. So the message of the kingdom is the word, right? We preach the message. But Jesus was the word made flesh. He too was a seed that fell into the ground and died. And what happens when the seed falls into the ground and dies? <clears throat> it produces many more seeds. <clears throat> I'm sorry. The seed always brings forth after its kind. It brings more than when in the ground. It multiplies. And so when Jesus was buried and raised again, he became the firstborn of a whole new creation. And now those who believe in him, put their faith in him, are born of the Spirit, begotten of God, and they become siblings of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> the same kind of being he is. All right, so that's the seed as a person and the seed as a message. In either case, we come to faith and we are born again. All right. Let's begin the three parables that we want to look at quickly. I want to, in reverse order, let's go to verse 30 and ponder for a moment the mustard seed. Then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, when it is sown, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds of the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs or garden plants and it shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word as they were able to hear it. Now, if you were a Jew this day by the Sea of Galilee, hearing this little story or parable, if you knew your scripture, you would immediately think, global empire. Why? Because this exact language appears in multiple places in the Hebrew scriptures concerning empires. Assyria, for example. Uh, <clears throat> let me just kind of read a verse from, from Ezekiel 31. Of, of ancient Assyria, it was said in Ezekiel, its height was exalted above all the trees of the field. Its boughs or limbs were multiplied and its branches became long and all the birds of the heavens made their nests in its boughs. And under its shadow, all great nations made their home, a global empire. The same was said of ancient Babylon from Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar when he had that dream, that tree Nebuchadnezzar saw that tree that grew up and then was chopped down. Remember it? And Daniel interpreted it. And it says that the tree, its height reached to the heavens. 
And he could be seen to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant. <clears throat> and it, in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches. So this parable of the mustard seed in particular takes this insignificant little seed, introduces it into the soil, and it becomes a global empire. How many of you believe Jesus will one day have a global empire on earth? Do you believe that? That's amazing. So, so, uh, <clears throat> And it's, it's, a, it's a period of time when uh, teachers and scholars and theologians call the millennium or the, the kingdom age or the thousand year reign of Christ, whether you take it literal or spiritual, there's, a, there's, this, there's this government under the Messiah that will restore all things. Uh, uh, Peter had this in view in Acts 3. He's preaching, you know, the lame, he has just healed the lame man. They've healed the lame man. So he has occasion to preach Christ, crucified and resurrected. And then he says, now repent in verse 19, verse 20, that, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We like that, right? We repent, we're restored, we're refreshed in his presence. But in verse, it talks about that he may send Jesus Christ whom heaven must hold until the times of the restoration of all things. Remember that phrase? The times of the restoration of all things. So heaven must hold him until it's time to restore everything. Now look, what was the first Adam commanded to do? Replenish the earth, subdue it. Have dominion. What did he do? He handed it over. The second man, the last Adam died, he rose the second man, a new creation man. This Adam will do what the first Adam failed to do. He will subdue the earth and he will make the whole earth like the Garden of Eden. That was the charge to the first Adam. It'll be, and it'll be under a global empire. <clears throat> So remember in Revelation 21, John sees the city coming down, the new Jerusalem. He hears the words, behold, now uh, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will be with them and be their God and they will be his people. And then he says something very powerful. Behold, I make all things what? New. And the Greek word is kainos. He renews it. He refreshes it. He recreates. He doesn't annihilate it and create something new. He renews what was destroyed. And in Matthew 19, we have these words to his disciples. He says, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration... When the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The regeneration, what's that? That's this season, the restoration of all things under the leadership of King Jesus, King of Kings. <clears throat> By the way, 
the Acts 3 thing, the heaven must hold him until the times of the restoration of all things. It says, spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets. So all of the prophets saw that day when there would be a, a Messiah, the son of David would sit on David's throne and would usher in an era of shalom, of peace and prosperity. When nations would beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, and they would learn war no more, and wrong things would be set right, he would administer justice among the nations. Massive, massive prophetic vision and hope of all of Israel, all through the ages. When Messiah comes, he will set it right. He will repair the world. He will heal the land. And he will bring justice. Justice is an order in which everything is functioning according to its created design. Nothing misaligned and out of place. You know... Uh, just to push it one more notch, you remember that when ba the baby Jesus, so Mary, <clears throat> it, Mary has conceived before they were married, and Joseph has a problem. So Joseph was deciding what to do with, with the situation when an, an angel of the Lord came to him, and he had a revelation about the baby that Mary was carrying. <clears throat> Remember what it was from Matthew 1? I think it's verse 20. You know, this which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is God. <clears throat> Call his name Yeshua, for he will what? Save his people from what? Their sins. <clears throat> Very powerful. We'll never get tired of dwelling on the forgiveness of sins and on the atoning work of, of Jesus on the cross, very powerful. But Mary had a different revelation. <clears throat> when Gabrielle came to her and said, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, she says, well, how can that be? I don't know a man. And, but the, but the, Gabriel, the Gabriel said, call his name Yeshua, Jesus. <clears throat> he will be great. He will be the son of the highest and God will give him what? The throne of his father, David. The governmental. So we have two powerful aspects right at his birth. One is the forgiveness of sins. That's the first coming. And the one is the, the global empire. That is the second coming. You know, Moses and Joshua so portray that prophetically. Moses, the Passover lamb, you know, leads them out of Egypt. He's the deliverer from sin. But Joshua leads in conquest to subdue the nations and bring a new governmental order on the land of Canaan. So it becomes a type of, of the second coming when Jesus will return <clears throat> to establish his kingdom. But how many of you know Jesus doesn't want to rule alone? So in Christ, we have become what? <clears throat> Kings and priests to our God. And we too 
will what? Reign on the earth. Huh. So there's two promises to overcomers in the in in the uh, in Revelation two and three, the seven churches. So the Lord addresses the seven churches in chapter two twenty six. To he who overcomes and keeps my works to the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Wow. In Revelation 3.21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. So we know that in the gospel, we are destined to be, to rule and reign with him in this. Now we have, we have authority now. There's authority now to see the kingdom come, Right? So we want to walk in that authority now. So, but at the same time, there's a fullness coming that's not yet until he comes, I believe, until he comes and takes his throne. He's, he doesn't have his own throne yet. You know that? He's sitting on his father's throne. His throne is called the throne of his glory. It shows up in Matthew 19 where I read and also in, um, in Matthew 25. By the way, Jesus in Matthew 5 addressed Jerusalem as what? The city of the great king. <laughs> and you know who the great king is, right? So he, and so when he's teaching on the kingdom, you know he has something big in mind where this is going. Because the father said to him, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. What's the announcement at the second coming, the seventh trumpet? Behold, now, I'm sorry, at the seventh trumpet, there were loud voices in heaven, and they were saying what? Now the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will what? Reign on the earth. Look, the seed that has been introduced into planet earth through the gospel of the kingdom isn't stopping until the whole earth is filled with the glory of God until the government of Jesus is fully established and exerted. A global empire. You know, we, uh, we're very alert to the world's situation, right? The troubles in the world. I sometimes think, hmm, um, devil's getting out of hand. Do you know what I think's happening? I think the kingdom of God is just pushing, 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 encroaching. It's growing. It's a slow growth. God's a farmer. He introduced something with the seed of his son, and now the seed of the message, the mustard seed, it's growing, it's pushing. It's, we're crowding the devil into a corner is what I believe is happening, and he's starting to act out. That's what I believe is happening. And I don't believe the devil's going to decide when the second coming happens by getting worse and worse and worse until he has to come. That's not what's happening.
the next parable helps us understand what is happening because it has to do with, he doesn't want to rule alone. He wants a people who can govern with him without being corrupted. So let's read the next parable. We're going to soon be out of time here. <clears throat> so uh, working ourselves backwards. And he said, verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day. And the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. How many know how this works? The life is in the seed. There's life from another realm in the seed of the word. How precious is it? How powerful is it? He doesn't know how. Verse 20, for the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts the sickle in the sickle because the harvest has come. So now we're seeing the seed and we're seeing stages of maturity. And the harvest is mentioned. So the harvest is mentioned and from from uh, the parable in Matthew 13 of the wheat and the tares, I believe we can draw on that to say that the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels or the harvest is either the end of the age or the end of my life. If it's, if it's personal, individual, I'm harvested into the kingdom, if you will, at the end of this physical life. Or at the second coming, there will be a harvest of the righteous. And in Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares, it's interesting because the wicked, are, the, the sons of the evil one are harvested first and removed. And the sons of the kingdom remain and they shine like stars in the kingdom of their father. That's language right out of Matthew 13. So the harvest. So here's the point. I believe this parable points to the maturing of believers of the church, if you will, a glorious end time church that will come to fullness to rule and reign with him in his kingdom, a bride, if you will, without spot and wrinkle that has made herself ready. And so God has plant, sowed something into the earth. He's bringing forth a people, a new creation man, if you will. How many of you know the meek will inherit the earth? We are heirs with him and co-heirs with Christ of what? Of everything. He doesn't want to inherit it alone. All of the children of God get an inheritance. It's called the created order. And so we're being prepared to rule and reign with him. How many of you know that it's training for reigning in this age? That's why you had troubles. If you, it's the overcomers that get the throne. So if you want to be an overcomer, you need a problem, right? You've heard that before. So, so here's the point. What's your highest goal in this, in this age? In this present evil age, what should be the highest goal of every believer? 
what do you believe biblically in the New Testament would be set forth as the, the thing to aim for? You, you can just shout it out to me. To, to, to become like him. Is that it? To be con- we are destined to be conformed to the image of Christ so that he is only the firstborn among many brethren, many like him. So he has begotten a whole company of, of believers who are like him. They're the same kind of creation he is. Now he's set apart as the first fruits, but nevertheless, there's a whole company and we are being brought to perfection. We are being sanctified and dealt with by God and we're giving opportunity after opportunity to overcome and to, and to get the victory, to stay in faith instead of fear and unbelief <clears throat> and, and to grow up into Christ. So just one verse from Hebrews 2, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things. He created everything. Nothing was made without the word. It was exists by him. But it's fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory. He's bringing many sons, millions across the nations of the earth coming to glory. Cut what? First the blade. Then the ear, then the full corn on the ear. I mean, we're coming to fullness. He's growing us up individually, corporately as the bride. It's fitting that he would be made perfect through sufferings. And that is our opportunity to be perfected. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified. Okay, who's doing the sanctifying? He is. He's working. Who's being sanctified? You and I. Both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. That's what it says. We're the same kind of creation. Wow. So I believe it's the bride in maturity that will decide when the second coming is, not the devil's darkness on the earth. So let's, um, there you go. He's bringing forth a people who will shine with the glory of God. We, we, get, we get glimmers of it already, but he's still working. All right. So we got to land this real soon. So the final parable, very familiar the question now is, what is the hint? So, so, the, so the bride will, so Jesus will present to himself a bride without spot and wrinkle. How will he do that? We talk about sanctifying. With the washing of the water by what? You remember the phrase? The word. Huh. We're back to the seed. By the washing of the water of his words, he's washing and sanctifying and helping us come to that maturity. And so the question again is, how, what kind of hearing are we, can we hear in a way 
with a good and noble heart, that word that changes us. The life is in the seed, it's in the word, it's not in me. I, I can't change. You can't, if you change, you probably got religious. You probably put something on. But if you're changed by the entrance of the word of God, by receiving it with a noble and good heart, then you're it's from the inside out. Then we're transformed. And that's where just, just esteeming and valuing and memorizing and dwelling on and reading the word, the word. It's amazing how transformative it is on an individual basis. And I have testimonies along that, but I'm about out of time. Quickly at the three, so the sower went forth to sow. Some seed fell on the pathway, some on the stony ground, and some on the, uh, thor- among thorns, others on good soil. So the good soil, we want to be that. With good and noble hearts, we receive the word. We let it work in us. We let it produce its life in us. Uh, yes, yes, yes. But there's th- three hindrances very quickly to hearing the word with a, with a noble heart. The pathway is simply a hard heart. But I like to call it deception because a hardened heart is a heart that cannot afford or will not entertain another idea, another truth, or another worldview. The theory of evolution is not so hard to refute scientifically. It's actually very easy to refute. It makes no sense. It takes more faith to believe that that's true than the creator God that created it. However, you convince, you convince someone. Why is it so hard to convince people with, with the facts? I can't afford to entertain that worldview because I've already set my heart on a lifestyle that I want to live and I don't want the implications of that truth. I, I don't even entertain it. So it's a, and so the seed comes and boom, the enemy takes it away and there's no fruit. And what am I left with? I'm, I'm under it. I'm deceived. I have a wrong worldview. It's deception. Deception does not happen in a vacuum. We can all be duped and tricked sometimes and believe a lie for a minute. But if you are a lover of truth, God will not let you live your life in a delusion. If you're a lover of truth, sooner or later, you'll receive, you'll change. So deception is, deception is connected. This is a whole teaching in itself. Deception is connected to a heart that doesn't want to hear. Number two, offense. The, the stony ground. When the sun, there's not much soil. So when the sun comes up, the plant withers. And the, and the word is there because it, 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 um, what's the word? It, it, it stumbled. Oh, they stumbled. When it gets hard, you stumble. The word is for offense. I, I don't know how many believers through the years offended, therefore they left the faith. Uh, John Revere calls it the bait of Satan. It is, it's the bait of Satan. Let me just ask you this. So, yeah, offense and difficulty have, 
has caused many to stumble. Let's, let's just say it that way. And what's the last one? So it's deception, offense. And the last one among thorns, that's the seduction of the world. Chokes out the life of the seed. Seduced. The world is constantly bombarding us with promises it can never fulfill. Things that look good but aren't. Love not the world or anything in the world. For everything that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is passing away. This order is passing away. Another order is coming. It's called the kingdom of God. It's the empire of Jesus under his leadership. And so let's be those with a good and noble heart this morning who hear the word, let it work, let it judge you. If your life is out of order, let the word judge you and, and accept, you know, truth, embracing truth can be costly and inconvenient when you have a certain trajectory. But no, let's value the word, the life that's in the word, the life that's in the seed, because the highest goal is to be conformed to the image of the Son of God so that we can be part of that government in the empire under Jesus Christ. Well, bless the Lord. I hope that was helpful. Father, take these words, the words that were from you, Weak words, but we esteem your word. In the midst of all these words, Lord, your word, let it come to us. Let it enter in and transform and change us. And right now we say yes to the journey of growing up into Christ, becoming like him. We say yes to being sanctified and set apart and purified. We say yes to your leadership, Jesus, in our lives. You were perfected through sufferings. So we say yes to you, even in offense and difficulty, when it's hard. We say yes to you and to your word. Conform us to your own image. You are the pattern. Grow us up to shine with the very glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.